Wonderful. Good morning. Good to see you all. My uh, my son, uh, I called him. We were we were chatting the other day. It's kind of fun. Those of you who are parents of teenagers, um, they they usually turn out really good. So hang in there. <laughs> uh, my son, who's not a teenager, a grown man, uh, owns a film company. Lives in New York, doing a great job. Uh, he's now become. One of my best friends, uh, it's the coolest thing, uh, because the goal of biblical parenting is to one day become your kid's friend. Come on. And, and that they find Jesus, and, and the problem is, is that too many of us as parents try to become our kid's friend too soon. <laughs> you're, you're the parent, and, and then you begin, when they're in their 20s and so forth, you become their friends, to the degree that they're buddies with you. And my son is like that. Anyway, so he, he and I were talking, and I asked him if I could share a little of his, uh, of his story of his life, and he said I could. Uh, Jansen had a nemesis. How many of you guys know what a nemesis is? His name's Jansen, right? So, so a nemesis, I wrote it down here uh, so you would know the definition of a nemesis. A nemesis is a longstanding rival. Longstanding rival. J- Jansen had this nemesis that was good at everything. He was one year older than my son in, in junior high, high school. He, he was, uh, if there could be a, a, a pass thrown, if there could be a baseball hit, if there could be a basketball shot, if there could be a shortstop catch made, Kai was making it better than anyone else. He was my son's rival. I'm telling you, it was one of these moments where, as a little boy, Jansen, I always wanted to be the quarterback. I always wanted to be the shortstop. I always wanted to be the, 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 the best pitcher. And he always bumped into Kai. There, there was always this moment where, if there was an, an opportunity for those two to be at something, Kai usually won out. It was, it was frustrating for him. And I remember there were times when he and I would talk and he said, Dad, I can't wait. I want to be a quarterback. That's what I want to do. I just want to be a quarterback of all of my heart. Well, he bumps into Kai and, and his plans begin to change. So he decides when he gets to high school that he doesn't want to be a quarterback anymore. He wants to be a wide receiver catching passes from Kai. Right? And, and the whole time, knowing in his heart of hearts what he wanted to see happen, but always feeling like he was just a little bit behind. Always wanting to be the quarterback, but resigning himself to being a wide receiver and catching passes from that guy. Kai owned some of my son's brain. I don't know what it was, but uh, how many of you guys know what the word bandwidth is? Bandwidth. It's like when too many of you get on the same Wi-Fi signal and it slows down. I tell my son sometimes, I'd ask him, I was like, he's taking up a little bandwidth in your head. Why are you allowing this? He's like, Dad, I don't know. And, and he never really confessed the fact that it was a trial for him. But I know watching him grow up and him steering his life to get away from the nemesis was one of those things that slowed him down. My question for you this morning is, what is it that's a nemesis to you? What slows you down? What keeps you in bed a minute longer than you should? What's one of those places in your life where you feel like, you know, it's beginning to take up bandwidth in your brain. Is it, is it worry? Is it fear? Is it shame? What's taking up space in your head? Is it good enough? Maybe that's the nemesis to you, just good enough. Maybe it's, it's just not all worth all of that work. Maybe that's your nemesis. It's just too much work. Keeping you from fulfilling the very passion that God put in you a long time ago. 
All of us have something that seems to nip at us. Always has something that keeps us held back. What is your nemesis? What is the thing that, that, that is a, a, life re, a life rival to you that holds you back from walking out the fulfillment of what you feel like you were called to? This week, we are in week five of a sermon series entitled Upon This Rock. We're talking about what it means to be sent as a church. We, we believed that God gave us a word for our church this year. It was to send us out of this building. That God made every one of us missionaries, and he wants us to be sent out from here into the world to fulfill this plan that God has for us. If you have your Bibles, open it up, if you could, to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Lord, I pray today you help us as we get into your word to hear what you have to say. You're amazing. We need you, God. Quiet the voices in our head. Lord, I love that Laura shared a little bit today about her week. I pray today that we would be able to still the voices that seem to distract us and keep us from what you have to say. Help us to chill on your lap. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus takes his disciples 25 miles out of the way of where they normally existed to a place called Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was this place where literally it's as far away as you could get to the northeast as possible, away from Jerusalem, the center of worship. Jesus takes his disciples up there, two and a half years into his three-year ministry with them. And in nearing the end of ministry on earth, Jesus takes his disciples to a place up there at the foot of Mount Hermon called Caesarea Philippi, right near a little town called Dan. And he asks them this question in Matthew 16, 13. He asked his disciples when they reached the region of Caesarea Philippi, who do people say that I am? Peter answered when Jesus asked him the same question. He said, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the, you're the answer. You're, you're, you got to know that every Jewish person was looking forward to the Messiah. They were heard that Jesus was going to come or, or a Messiah was going to come. They didn't know his name was Jesus. They had heard that there was going to be this answer to their problems show up. And so they were all looking for this Messiah. They were all looking for this answer. Of course, they looked in all kinds of weird places, but, but nevertheless, they were all looking for this answer to come. Jesus takes them up to this place in Caesarea Philippi that was well known for its pagan worship, its idol sacrifices, where its, its crazy, uh, wrong, ungodly activities were happening. Jesus takes them up there, and like I said this last several weeks, I believe that the geography has a lot to do with the message that Jesus was communicating. Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Why would Jesus take them all the way away from the center of worship in Jerusalem up to Caesarea Philippi, the center of pagan worship, and ask them who he said that he was? I think personally Jesus was trying to tell them, guys, listen, if you say that I'm the answer and the Messiah, I want to build my church. But I want to build my church away from the religious center of things. I want to build my church out in the community. I want to build my church where people need church. I love that Jesus says, I will build my church. He didn't say, why don't you go out and build my church? He said, I'll do it. You just be you, and I'll show up through you. Amen. I love this. Matthew 16, 17 goes on. He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for my father has revealed this to you. And he goes on to say that the gates of hell wouldn't withhold from him. Now, go over, if you could, down to verse 21. 
This week, I want to talk to you a little bit more about how to walk out the fulfillment of this mission that God's given each of us to be sent as, as missionaries to our community. The area that God, God has specifically designed you with a specific purpose and a specific message. It doesn't take but two minutes for me to talk to any one of you. And, 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 and oftentimes, the message back to me is, Lance, I don't have enough information to be able to share my faith, so I'm kind of quiet about it at work. And I love the idea that you have a message. You have a message that comes through you the way you talk, the way you look, the way you carry yourself. It is the message that God has placed in you for a specific purpose in a specific place. I love that. There are times, I was talking to someone just the other day about their, their area of ministry. I can't remember what it was. We were talking about school or education or something, and I said, you do realize I don't have the same access to those people's lives that you do. They're like, yeah, but if you just came, you could say stuff and it would make difference in these people's lives. And I said, no, you don't understand. I don't have, I don't have the relationship with those people that you do. You've been there for years and they know and they trust you. You have a message that I can't speak. You have an authority that I don't have because you've built relationship over time. They want to listen to what you say. They're listening to what you are doing already. <laughs> Matthew 16, 21. This is just after that whole dialogue when Jesus says, I'll build my church. When Jesus says to Peter, uh, you're, you did hear from God, way to go. And it says here in verse 21. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that he had to go to Jerusalem. He told them what would happen to him there. He would suffer at the hands of leaders and the leading priests and the teachers of religious law that he would be killed and he would be raised on the third day. But Peter took him aside and corrected him. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan, for you're a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, then you must put aside your selfish ambition, shoulder your cross, and follow me. If you try to keep your life for yourself, you'll lose it, but if you give it up, your life from me, then you'll find it. I think it's amazing to me how Peter can go from one minute hearing the voice of God and Jesus commending him and saying, way to go, you heard from the Spirit of God, I am the Messiah. To, to just literally a minute later, he's turning around and rebuking Peter, saying, get behind me, Satan. He didn't just say something like, like get behind me, you sound like Satan. Get behind me, you, you saying words that kind of feel like the devil. He looks right at Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. How does a guy go from just, oh God, you're amazing and sharing this word of God to sharing word from the devil? Aren't you glad that it ever happens to you? I mean, aren't you glad that you, you never have that, that moment of just hearing God's voice so clearly to, to trust him to, yes, in Jesus' name. And you hear Pastor Dave come up here and say, hey, we're going to trust God with our stuff. And you're like, yes, yes, yes. And you pull up your phone and you're ready to give and you're like, no, 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 Why? You have that moment of just absolute trust and absolute, yes, you're good. And the very next moment, you're like, hmm, I don't know. Isn't it amazing how much like Peter we become? God, you're so good. You're, Lord, I just trust everything about you. And then you find out that the other company got the contract that you didn't get. 
You're like, God, how could you? You, have the, you, you, ever, you ever feel like rebuking God? No takers? <laughs> You're like, nope. <laughs> you ever feel like, you know, it's funny though, we do, oftentimes, we get mad at God because so-and-so didn't experience the healing, so-and-so didn't get the financial provision, so-and-so didn't have the, the big emotional breakthrough, so-and-so's marriage fell apart, and, and we want to pull God aside and tell him a few things. God, what are you thinking? Come on, don't, don't leave me out here alone, right? You have those moments when you're just like, really? God, you, you really? You know those moments when you feel like you just want to tell God, you want to, you want to do like Peter and pull him aside and say, God, let's talk for a second. You know as well as I do that if I got the promotion, that'd be so much better for everybody. Come on. Right? You have that rebukable moment to God. See, we'd never admit that. None of us would ever admit that we would actually do that, but I think we do. I think we have those moments where we, where we, where we want to pull God aside, at least in our minds, and, and tell him a thing or two that if he could just do it the way we think it, that somehow everything would be better. I'm amazed to me how quickly we can go from hearing from God to hearing from the devil. The thing that amazes me the most is we're really quick to, let me ask you this, why did Jesus rebuke Peter? Because Peter somehow became demon-possessed? Is that why Jesus rebuked Peter? Somehow he began to just be controlled by the devil and the demonization was happening in the context of Peter's mind and Jesus saw it and just said, get behind me. Is that what it was? I don't think so. I mean, I don't, I don't believe that that happened. I think what happened was Jesus recognized how the devil talks. I think Jesus recognized a devil pattern. Remember when Jesus was taken up during this 40 days of prayer and fasting, and, and during that time, the Bible says the devil took and tempted him several times. If you really are the son of God, make these rocks turn into bread. If you really are the son of God, throw yourself off the temple. If you really are the son of God, then bow down and worship me. See, see, Jesus recognized the lingo. Jesus recognized how the devil works and talks. Jesus knew exactly how the devil sounded. Jesus knew who to rebuke. See, my fear is, is that too many of us are too quick to rebuke God and not even thinking about rebuking the enemy. We don't even recognize how the enemy talks. We do just want to start raising our fist at heaven and saying, God, how could you? God, why did you do this? But there's not, rarely do we stop and turn around and realize that the enemy might have some play here. The enemy might have some voice in this whole thing. Jesus was quick to rebuke Peter because he recognized how the devil works. My question for you is, do you recognize the enemy's voice over God's? Too often, they sound the same. They come out of the same mouth. I think audibly, Jesus' disciples, Peter's friends, probably thought to themselves, what are you doing, Jesus? Peter just said a nice thing. No, you're not going to go out and do all this. Peter was doing something kind and even almost protective. No, not you. You're not going to be killed. No, not you. It was as if, and hear what Jesus said, that's a trap to me. Why? Because like anything else, it would have been easier road. It would have been the easier, softer way but it wouldn't have accomplished the salvation that Jesus needed to use or do by, by dying on the cross. Jesus didn't want the easier, softer way. He didn't want the crowds worshiping for the fish and the bread that he would provide. He wanted them to realize that he was Messiah and that he came to die on a cross for their sin, for our sin. Hmm. 
I love this. I love how God and Jesus have this dialogue and how quickly we are. Look at what it says in verse uh, 23. Jesus tells Peter, you're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. The NIV puts it this way. You do not have the mind or concerns of God, but merely human concerns. The New American Standard Bible says it this way. You are not setting your mind on God's interest, but on man's interest. The Darby translation says this, your mind is not on the things of God, but on the things of man. The message translation puts it this way, you have no idea how God works. Hmm. Amazing to me. Amazing to me how quickly we are to just think we're hearing from God and and not have the mind of Christ in our activity. It's amazing to me how quickly we can go with a good idea instead of the right idea. It's amazing how fast we can go from doing what feels right instead of what is right. I I love here that Jesus really unpacks it. In all these translations, even in the actual Greek translation, literally unpacks the fact that Peter had his focus on the human concern, not on God's concern. Peter's focus was on what humanity would be thinking in this whole thing instead of what he was thinking in this whole thing. Peter had the cares of this world at the forefront of his mind. And Jesus says to him, Peter, you don't understand. You're looking at everything from the human perspective instead of my perspective. How do we get the mind of Christ? How is it that we're supposed to get God's mind for our lives so that we can think from God's perspective instead of from man's perspective? Man's perspective throws us off. Man's perspective is is self-absorbed. Man's perspective is all about me and what I get out of the deal. Question, how do you know if you're listening from man's perspective or God's perspective? I can tell you a couple of things. Here's a, here's a couple of examples of, of, of words or phrases that would come off your mouth if you have the wrong perspective. Perhaps you don't have God's mind, if the, Christ, the mind of Christ, if what comes out of your mouth first is it's not fair. Maybe you don't have the mind of Christ if what comes out of your, your mouth first is God's mad at me and he's getting even for my actions. Perhaps you may not have the mind of Christ in an activity if what crosses your mind is, if God really loves me, perhaps you don't have the mind of Christ if what comes across your mind is, bad things always happen, but they only happen to me. See, oftentimes I think we have the mind that wants to be a mind of Christ, but we live in a world that's really self-absorbed. Somehow, the king of the universe is so furious with you that he's going to stop all activity, train all of his emphasis and focus upon your negative activity, and then turn everything against you. Sometimes I just want to, there's times when I hear people say, God is so mad at me because he, he's doing God. God. I, I, I want to ask the question. I just want to say, why do you think so highly of yourself? Let's stop and realize that maybe we're making our decisions on man's perspective instead of God's mind. Maybe God wants you to get the mind of Christ. Maybe the reason God brought you here today was to understand how to get the mind of Christ instead of the mind of ourself, which is what's all about me. It's all about what I get out of the deal. Listen to this. How do you get the mind of Christ? Number one. Number one, set your sights on heaven. To get the, listen, if we want to get the mind of Christ, we've got to set our sights in a different place. Colossians 3.1 says this, Since you have been raised to new life in Christ, set your sights on the reality of heaven, where Christ sits at God's right hand in the place of honor and power. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Don't think only about the things down here on earth. 
I love it. The, the phrase in the Greek, set your thoughts, literally means this. Keep on setting your thoughts. Keep on meditating. Keep on craving and demanding that your thoughts get right. I love it when he says, set your thoughts on the realities of heaven. Literally saying this, would you, you realize if you don't take your thoughts captive, listen to this, if you don't take your thoughts captive, your thoughts will take you captive. And at some point, we have to begin to capture our thoughts. I love it. It says, demand that your thoughts think right. It says, literally, I love in the Greek how he says this, to meditate. The, the, the word meditate is the, the same word used for a cow chewing its cud. Literally, chew on it, chew on it, chew on it. Then bring it up, play it around with your tongue, then chew on it some more. Beautiful, huh? But the idea, right? It's truth. We have to choose to allow truth. We have to choose to demand that we set our thoughts. Why is God so forceful with this Greek translation of a word to demand that we set our thoughts on the reality of heaven? Because if you don't set your thoughts, your thoughts will set you. If you don't decide what it is that's going to happen, if you don't say, listen, I will choose to walk in joy. You realize that when the Bible says be joyful always, and again I say rejoice, literally it's not a suggestion. It's a command. It says literally be always in the process of joying. We have to decide. What if I don't feel like it? It has nothing to do with how we feel. Your feelings are the caboose of the train, remember? The caboose always shows up where the engine's headed. Problem is we run the train backwards with the caboose first, and then the engine jumps off the track. Hmm. To get the mind of Christ, set your thoughts. Set your thoughts. Number two, get the mind of Christ. You get God's perspective. Number two, listen carefully to the truth that you already know. Hebrews 2.1 says this, So we must listen carefully to the truth that we've heard already, or we may drift away from it. Listen carefully. I love this. The word listen carefully here in the Greek means this. It means to bring the ship back into the shore. To listen carefully means to bring the ship that's floating around out there in the water, in the storm, and all the wind and the waves. He says listen carefully means to bring the ship back into the dock and tie it up. He says listen carefully. I love that. He says if we don't listen carefully, that literally means this. It means to think about what you're listening to. What, in your ears? Yeah, absolutely. But what about on the inside ears? The, those inside ears, inside ears, you're, you're inside your heart, that say, mm, I'm never going to be enough. I'm, I'm, I'm damaged goods. I'm always going to be broken. I'll never get past this thing. I'll always be uptight by this thing. I'll never, I'll always, I'll never, I'll always. That goes on, those inside ears that listen. Jesus says, listen carefully. I, I love the fact that this culture, that this culture wasn't a text messaging culture. The culture that the Bible was written to was a very verbal culture. It, they, they, they spoke the words of God. Can I just tell you this? When was the last time you spent time telling somebody something great that happened in your life from the Lord? When was the last time you listened to somebody tell their testimony of the wonderful things that God's done in their life and rejoiced with them? I think sometimes we listen just long enough that they'll stop talking so we can share something we want to share instead of actually listening to what it is that they're saying. When was the last time you shared something and had that person go, what? That's amazing. Tell me more about that. Tell me more. Like, What did it feel like when God provided that way? What did it feel like when God brought healing in your family? 
tell me a little bit more about that and actively listen to the whole thing and take it all in. Just take a big, big listen. Well, you know what happens when you do that? It's like healing balm that comes in. It's the testimony that brings life. It begins to pour into you. I think sometimes we're so quick to want to say all the stuff that's bad, all the things that are happening that are wrong. Let me tell you this. There's, there's nothing cooler than, 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 than going to a hospital or going to a retirement center or going to some place and just listening to a story. Going to a school to serve. Go, go, going to a church and being in children's ministry or whatever it is. Just going somewhere and serving and letting somebody just tell you their story. And letting it just be like healing balm all over your life. Jesus says, listen. I love this. Listen carefully to the truth that we've already heard. Romans 12, 2 says this. Don't copy the customs the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person. How many want to be transformed into a new person? Listen to this. Let God transform you into a new person. I'm not always a fan of some translations of the Bible, but this translation in this specific verse is is an amazing translation. It says, don't copy the customs and the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person, listen to this, by changing the way you think. Then you will know what God wants you to do and you will know his good and pleasing and perfect will really is. God will change you into a new person. See, we want God to change us into a new person just by snapping his fingers or saying some sort of a, a happy dust all over you. Can I tell you this? Here's how he wants to change you into a new person. By you changing how you think. You change how you think, God will change you into a new person. God's not going to come in and control how you think. You get to do that all by yourself. You get to decide how you think. You change your thinking, God will change your being. You get to decide, hey, how will I live in the journey of this whole thing? How will I process this problem? Number three, how to get the mind of Christ. First of all, set your sights on heaven. Number two, listen carefully. Number three, spend time in the Bible and in prayer. Spend time in the Bible and in prayer. Man, if there's one thing I, I know more than anything else, I think that so many of us, I could have said this earlier, but one of the reasons that so many of us can't recognize the voice of the enemy from the voice of God is we don't spend enough time understanding the voice of God to know the voice of the enemy. We don't understand the voice of God because we don't spend enough time in his word. And if we spent time in his word, we'd say, you know what, that's not Jesus. He doesn't carry on like that. Jesus would never say that. Some of us actually will will hear something. I've told you this before, but I remember as a little kid hearing that phrase, you know, God helps those that helps themselves, right? That's not in the Bible. Maybe it's in the book of hesitations. I don't know, but but it's like the book of confusion. Let me tell you this, right? But it's not in the Bible. God doesn't help. Let me tell you this. The way that it works out, God will, will help those who trust in him. And I'll tell you this. There's too many of those kinds of things that we listen to, but we don't know if it's actually God kind of stuff or not because we don't spend enough time in his word or in prayer. You heard Dave come up here a minute ago and and talk about the fact that he wanted to line his life up with God. I think that's what prayer is. Prayer is sitting down long enough to be able to to, to hear what God has to say to you. Certainly prayer is this this moment of you telling God and and having a communion with God, but there's a part of prayer I think that few of us get to is that moment where you actually sit and listen to what it is that he wants to say to you. And hear what it is that he has to say and what his heart is for the community. I love, I love the, uh, the interview with Tom Brokaw and Mother Teresa. 
That whole picture of Tom Brokaw coming to Mother Teresa and saying, so we know you pray, Mother Teresa. How do you pray? When you pray, what do you say, Mother Teresa? And she says, when I pray, I say nothing. I only listen. And he says, I don't understand. And she said, well, if you don't understand that, that you'll never understand prayer. Prayer is an opportunity of just coming and sitting and listening. Oh, there's plenty of times when I talk before the Lord, but my conversations often will, will, will turn into speaking in tongues or they'll turn into a moment of just listening and there's a lot of times when I'm praying, I see your faces. I see, I see this, this vantage point as I'm standing on the pulpit, and I, I always know where the McCulloch sit. I always know where you know, the, the, the Jenison sit. I, I mean, in my mind's eye, I always see this, so don't switch it up. I'll, I'll stop praying for you. No, I'm kidding. Like, I can tell you, there's this beautiful moment, right? Because it's those times when God begins to say, listen, I want to I talk to you about that family. I think some of the reason we don't have the mind of Christ is we don't take the time to hear what he has to say in his word. Do you have a consistent reading plan? If you don't, you need to get one. If you don't have one, go on to PugetSoundForsquare.com and I'll tell you what, at that place, there's a place you can click the button and it'll take you to a reading plan. We want you to have a reading plan. Is it the best one? Is it the only one? Is it the greatest one? Nope, nope, and nope. It's just one. Pick one. I told our men's group at one point a long time ago, if you don't know what to read, then read the proverb of the day of the week that that is. If it's, if it's the 15th, read Proverbs 15. Just read it. Why Proverbs? Because that's how you're going to get smart. You're going to get wise by reading somebody who was wise, right? You can read anything. I don't care. But the point is, when you read it, slow down and hear what God has to say. We need to listen carefully. We need to set our thoughts and we need to spend time with him in the Bible and in prayer. That's how we get the mind of Christ. Church, if we're going to be sent out from here, we've got to be able to hear what he has to say and to know what he has to have us communicate. Too many of us come with some sort of an agenda. I'm going to drive this thing home. I've seen too many relationships just get absolutely derailed because somebody comes with an agenda to try to lead them into the salvation moment and just drive the point home and break the relationship instead of just having coffee and asking them how their wife and kids are and just allow the conversation to happen. Holy Spirit's better at that stuff than we are. Holy Spirit's really good at directing those conversations. Holy Spirit's even good at giving you what to say. The Bible said he would do that. And there's been more than once that I've been sitting down with somebody at coffee or at a basketball game or at some whatever, and I hear the Lord say, yeah, tell them this. It just seems like my voice. I'm not so sure it's God's voice. It seems like my voice. So I'll, I'll say something, and next thing you know, there's a tear come down their cheek. And I think, wow, God, did you get something in their heart? And then the conversation takes off. We need the mind of Christ, church. If we're going to be sent out into the Puget Sound region, we need the mind of Christ. Amen. Let's pray. God, I pray that you help us this morning. Lord, as we journey this course to live a sent life, help us, God. We need you a bunch. In Jesus' name. My son was on the phone with me and he texted me.